the Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany is from Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent, you, sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with bird offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Epistles from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise to join together in Psalm 15. Psalm 15. 
O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning's message, the epistle reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, focusing especially on the following. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Thus far our text. Sometimes, some of the things you see on TV just stick with you. There was an advertisement for Canadian Tire over 20 years ago now that had as its theme, 
Where you end up has an awful lot to do with where you get started. And although they intended the phrase to mean that you should go to Canadian Tire to start whatever project that you're doing, the observation as such was accurate. Where you start on things often gives a goal and a direction to where you eventually end up. And nowhere is this more true in life than when it comes to your faith and your religion. Because that's basically what Paul is going on about in today's epistle. It's a question of where you get started. What it is that is the basic assumption behind what you do, what you believe, who you are. And there are a number of different assumptions you can easily make. Paul's assertion is that for us as Christians, where we need to get started is with Jesus Christ and his cross. This was the key that the church in Corinth was forgetting and why the problems and divisions and the other things they were facing were starting to come out of the woodwork on them. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but it bears repeating. Everything that the church is about should reflect or stem from the truth of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection in some way, shape, manner, or form. It's good not to ignore the world around us or the things on the news. Yet the job of the church is not so much to filter the weekly world news through the Sunday sermon. Nor is the job of the church so much to give principles for a better life or to give general moral prescriptions as ends in themselves. The church does not exist to be a life coach, nor is the church's role to build a utopia in this present world. Rather, the heart of the church, what the church is called to do, is to preach and teach Jesus Christ, his death for sinners, his resurrection to bring new life to all who believe, and then bring that truth to bear on the other dimensions of life in this present world. And Paul says this teaching is folly. An alternate translation, if you like, would be moronic or stupidity to the world around us that is perishing in its sin. It was true in Corinth nearly 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. The unbelieving world thinks the church is irrelevant. They'd rather solve problems by means of science or government, politics and policy, rules and regulations. And yet such solutions still can only go so and so far. What if a new discovery renders what was considered scientific fact a lie? What if the government is found to be corrupt or in the pocket of certain business lobbyists? Then all the truths of science and government cave in and need to start over again. And it's little wonder that the world would then think truth to be merely a relative construct because it's been taught so by the very authorities to which it looks because of its assumptions and starting place. But that also should be no surprise. After all, what was the promise the serpent made to Eve in the Garden of Eden? You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil for yourselves. 
Ever since the fall into sin, this has been the default position of the human heart. I want to choose which God I want to follow. I want to decide what is right and wrong for me. The moral relativism of our day is nothing new. We've just put a shiny new face on it. Yet for us who are being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God. Again, it's all about where you start. If you start with the assumption that sin is real and a problem, that we can't save ourselves but need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross is our salvation, then you'll look at the world in a different way than those who do not believe that. Part of the strain on Christian churches in general these days is that there's an open conflict of worldviews. A worldview that assumes that people are essentially good and can take charge of things and fix them all themselves versus the worldview that the cross of Christ is our only hope. And by necessity, you're going to end up in radically different spots if you start with radically different assumptions. Or as our reading says, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Having said that, our preaching, our faith, may very well sound like foolishness to the unbelieving world. But that does not mean we should be stupid about our faith. Far from it. Part of believing in Christ is being steeped in his word through faithful attendance at church and faithful personal devotion at home. The Lutheran Church has always insisted on having biblically literate and well-trained pastors because the word of Christ is our strength. The Apostle Peter in his first letter encourages us always to be ready to give account for the hope that is within us, which is to say, to be knowledgeable enough about what you believe so that you're not shaken by every cultural breeze that blows but can stand firm. We have as a blessing a huge range of worthy English translations these days all of which do a very good job to convey that good news of Jesus into modern English. So people may read, hear, learn, and believe. I would encourage you to spend some time each day in the word growing in your faith. But it's just that the wisdom of God that you get that way is simply not the same as the wisdom of man. A view of the world, of the universe, which assumes that human beings get to make the final judge of what's right and wrong, good and bad, wise and foolish, will have a different idea of what is wisdom and what is good philosophy than does a view of the universe, which assumes that the heart of history is God reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus by means of the cross. And it's only when Jesus and his crucifixion is at the center of our lives that the scriptures can truly shine at their brightest. It's only when Christ crucified is at the center that the word of God can truly transform and make us new. 
And sometimes I wonder how much of the Christian church's loss of ground in culture and society in North America is a direct result of the church largely losing her focus on the cross. If we do not fear, love, and trust in God above all things, we're not focused on the cross of Christ. Churches can continue on and preach and do all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, it leads away from Christ rather than to Christ. His cross isn't at the center. Very rarely do churches lose their way all at once, but it's often more a death by a thousand little steps in a wrong direction. And yet, we shouldn't feel defeated or lost either, for the Christian church is Christ's church. He always preserves a remnant to be faithful to him. And what might not look like great success in the here and now for Christendom in Canada might be just the sort of faithfulness to Christ which reaps bigger benefits in the longer term, because God doesn't operate the way we do. As the apostle says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And this leaves us with a challenge, a challenge for us as believers. Are we willing to throw ourselves wholeheartedly on the mercy of God, to trust Him, to walk in his ways in accordance with the call and the claim he's put on us in the waters of baptism. For he's already made us his people. Will we trust that he knows what he is doing and walk with him? For his ways are not our ways. His foolishness is wiser than our human wisdom. His weakness is stronger than our human strength. At the end of the day, our plans, hopes, dreams, are nothing compared to God's greater eternal plan for saving all those he has called and chosen to be his own. His will will be done as we teach in the Lord's Prayer. We are simply to pray that his will would be done among us also. And the only way to be willing to rely on God is in repentance and forgiveness, that daily pattern of life to which we are called in order to bring us back to him. Baptism is that particular gift of God in which we are able to access that. We're baptized only the once, but the promise God makes to us is something we can cling to and return to every day of our lives. As Romans 6 observes, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Baptized into his death. There's that cross again. And it is Christ who has called you out of the ways of this sinful world into a new way of being, 
He has called you and me away from worry, fear, doubt, and into the certainty of his promises. He calls you and me away from selfish lusts or greed or jealousy and into the simple trust that he will accomplish all he needs as he transforms us by our lives made new in baptism, refreshed regularly by his word, his absolution, and his sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so that also should be our boast as a church in this place. Not our skills, not our building, not any of those things which might give us pride as people, but Jesus Christ alone. For he is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, our life, our eternity. He is all in all. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For when we start with Christ and his cross, then we end up with eternal life. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.